Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Good morning. It's Friday, January 3rd, and you are listening to the College Football Daily, a 24-7 sports podcast dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. I'm Connor Tapp. Later on, I'll be joined by Trey Scott from San Antonio, Texas, to discuss a thrilling conclusion to the 2020 Gator Bowl, some drama going on behind the scenes in Starkville with Joe Moorhead and Mississippi State, and some recruiting news from the Under Armour All-American game over in Orlando, as well as, hey, some really big news concerning potential uh, draft-eligible players returning to the University of Alabama for the 2020 football season. But first, the big news of the day is Ole Miss going out and hiring some assistant coaches, which included Chris Partridge, Joe John Finley, but most notably DJ Durkin, former Maryland head coach, fired in 2018 amid allegations of player mistreatment. So to help me refresh our collective memory on why Maryland needed to fire DJ Durkin and why it's so concerning that Ole Miss has decided to hire him, we're going to talk now with Alex Kirshner of Banner Society. Ole Miss announced on Thursday the hiring of DJ Durkin as an assistant to new Rebels head coach Lane Kiffin. Durkin was fired from his last coaching job at Maryland after media and internal investigations uncovered a culture of player mistreatment. Ole Miss has yet to offer any public comment on its rationale in taking such a big risk on a coach with such a heavily checkered past. Joining us now to remind us exactly what that past includes is Alex Kirshner, who writes for Banner Society and was formerly the managing editor of SB Nation's Maryland site, Testudo Times. So, Alex, the event that sets in motion the investigations into the culture in Maryland's football program in 2018 is the hospitalization on May 29th and subsequent death of Jordan McNair. I wonder if you could remind us what happened on that day. So what happened on that day was that Maryland was in the midst of off-season workouts and uh, was having players run up and down the field. Uh, you know, I forget the exact yardage, but pretty much full length runs, um, you know, what you would call, um, you know, sprints and, um, you know, during the course of, uh, that workout, Jordan McNair, who was an offensive lineman who'd been on campus for, I believe a year, um, fell ill. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately in, in the weeks after that, um, was not able to recover and passed away. So that event triggers ESPN to start doing some digging around Maryland. They eventually produce a report with a headline that calls the culture of Maryland football toxic. What, what are the key takeaways from that report? Uh, you know, I, I don't remember the specifics of, of the report, though I remember that it was absolutely worth reading. But there was a lot in there, and I think that you know, a lot of it was um, corroborated by reports that came out later, you know, one by a commission that Maryland had set up, 
uh, and one by kind of an outside auditor that Maryland brought in to look at its athletic training practices. Um, and the gist of the report about, you know, that, that was commissioned by the school uh, was that there was a culture in place that while this commission disagreed with the word toxic, they said we didn't find that there's a toxic culture. Um, they did say that they found a report where players feared to speak up because they didn't think that they'd be um, properly heard or that maybe they'd have felt backlash um, if they had spoken up and, you know, when they were in fear of their own safety, uh, for their own safety, excuse me. And, uh, you know, there were some practices within the program that I think most reasonable people would agree uh, were over the line. You know, the report said that players were made to watch graphic videos while eating, um, you know, players getting pulled out of meetings for smiling, um, kind of weird and doesn't make a lot of sense. There was one, one part of the report that said that the strength coach at the time um, would force players to go on a stair climber for an hour with a big pipe across their shoulders, um, which, you know, seemed odd and a little bit extreme. Um, you know, the strength coach slapping food out of players' hands, uh, just, just a lot of stuff that, um, I think when you take it in aggregate, it, it starts to paint a picture of like, this is getting pretty close to the line. Um, and in some cases might be going over the line. And that's sort of what the genesis of, of the concerns about Maryland's culture were. So the, the timeline between Jordan McNair's hospitalization in May 2018 and then Jerkins' eventual firing on October 31st, it, what happens in between seems to be fairly chaotic. What's going on during that period and what ends up taking Maryland so long to reach a conclusion about what needs to be done that many people reached as early as two months earlier? So Maryland had put DJ Durkin on leave uh, and then spent time, you know, while these investigations were unfolding, um, you know, figuring out what it wanted to do. And I think that for a long period of time, Maryland didn't seem to see any real problem with anything that its coaching staff had done because until ESPN puts out this report, which is in the late summer, um, DJ Durkin's just proceeding along as Maryland's head coach. Um, but what happens eventually is that um, this report that I just referenced that the university paid for um, involving, you know, a lot of people, you know, kind of connected to the school, you know, different Maryland political figures, um, curiously, most of whom did not have any real medical expertise and some of whom didn't have any real expertise on, you know, the administration of an athletic program. But, um, this report comes out and Maryland's board of regents decides, okay, we're going to keep DJ Durkin anyway. Um, and then at that point, the public, um, you know, which I would certainly include myself in this to, you know, to be transparent, um, said, what, you know, are, are we really sure we want to do this? this? This doesn't seem quite right. Um, and after quite a bit of public backlash, uh, the next day, I think this was on Halloween that Maryland had reinstated them on maybe the day before, uh, one day later, uh, he was fired. So Maryland releases that report, that internal report on October 23rd. And then as you laid out, uh, reinstates him, then fires him. It seems like that report, maybe at least in Maryland's eyes, exonerated Durkin to some degree. And it, it's yeah. from what I understand, it, it seems like some people are trotting that out now as uh, oh, this this actually cleared him. But I, you disagree I, I with don't that, think, don't you? Yeah, I don't think that it exonerated or cleared him at all. I mean, this wasn't like a, 
a this wasn't like a criminal trial um you know he wasn't and even if you know even if you're found let's pretend that it was it's not like just because you're not found uh guilty that doesn't mean that you're you know that means in the eyes of the law sure like you know you're not gonna get uh you're not gonna face further criminal prosecution or something but that's not really what we're talking about here i mean we're talking about trying to evaluate whether dj durkin is the appropriate man to run at the time maryland's football program um in light of the fact that there was this culture of pushing players in unusual ways, uh, pushing them extremely hard. Um, and that included that on the day that Jordan McNair fell ill at the workout, um, that someone on staff had yelled something to the effect. And this was according to one of the reports that, that Maryland had done. Something like drag his ass off the field was the report. Um, and then, you know, that that precedes a player dying. I don't think that anyone was ever, you know, not that they necessarily shouldn't have, but um, they weren't running a criminal prosecution yet. I mean, they were trying to find out should DJ Durkin be running a football program. Um, and, you know, that's a much lower bar to clear in terms of uh, finding that someone shouldn't be the head coach of a football team or even an assistant coach on a football team um, and dealing with like issues of life and liberty. Um, so I don't think that what was at issue here was ever clearing him. And they never said, you know, no report said, oh, DJ Durkin did nothing wrong and all of this. He's blameless. I mean, that certainly wasn't it. Um, I think that there were several other significant factors in Maryland's problems, um, one of which being uh, one of which was that there was really poor alignment throughout the athletic department and very poor oversight um, of the sports medicine program that Maryland had, very poor lines of communication between the coaching staff um, and the higher up administration. That is not entirely on DJ Durkin, certainly not. Um, but I think that to suggest that he was cleared and to frame it that way in any capacity doesn't really seem to me to be the way that it should be looked at. So you don't, you don't think there's any room. I'm just kind of trying to imagine what Ole Miss or Lane Kiffin might say about this in the coming days. Do you think there's any room for him to claim like uh, uh, plausible deniability from some of these more egregious abuses or anything like that? Uh, you know, all that I can say is that the head coach hires the staff, um, the head coach, you know, hires the strength coach who hires the strength staff. Um, at some point the accountability chain leads to the head coach. Um, I think in this case in particular, DJ Durkin had spoken at length about how the strength coach at the time, Rick court, um, was among the very most closely aligned people to him in terms of his vision, in terms of how he'd run the program. Mm. Um, so I, I don't want to get into guessing at, you know, who knows what, when or anything like that. It's, it's, I don't have that information, but um, I think that the head coach is responsible for what happens under his watch. Um, of course, there are varying degrees of uh, slack that you would give someone for what their subordinates do. I mean, obviously you can't predict everything, um, but it did seem to me that Maryland um, from the reports that came out was running a program that was, too often, much too close to the line and sometimes over it. Uh, and then something really terrible happened in that environment. And, uh, that, that has to be on somebody and the person in charge of the football building is the head coach. Now that's not to blame one person for a horrible, horrible, tragic death. Absolutely not. Um, but he was the head coach and he did run the program. It seems like a broad scale issue facing college football right now is figuring out a system of appropriate punishments for its bad actors. And so I wonder, 
how that applies to DJ Durkin. And for instance, do you think he should ever be able to work in college football again based on what's been reported about his time at Maryland? I would never hire him to be a head co- or head or assistant coach uh, in college football again. That's just my opinion. But um, I think there are a lot of jobs that you can do in the world that do not give you, you know, a significant degree of oversight for, you know, how teenagers and 20 and 21 year olds uh, are treated on a day to day basis. I think even an assistant coach has a great deal of sway over um the athletes in their care. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, that's an important way to put it is that they are in their care, um, you know, coaching staffs in college football, uh, particularly at the FBS level have a lot to do with the care of their players. Uh, and, you know, I would just be inclined to listen to Jordan McNair's family, um, which has said that he shouldn't be able to, um, coach any, anybody else's kid. Um, I don't feel qualified to doubt them and, and I don't feel like we've seen anything, uh, in the, you know, over a year now since this report came out, uh, that would refute that notion. So this is not Lane Kiven's first deeply troubling assistant coach hire. In 2017, he hired Art Bryles' son and former assistant Kendall Bryles as his offensive coordinator at FAU without even really bothering to offer a public justification of the decision. Today's press release from Ole Miss is honestly quite brazen in the way that it even touts Durkin's accomplishments at Maryland and then just skips over the circumstances surrounding his termination. Alex, there are days where I feel like we are live witnesses to college football becoming a more just and humane sport. And then there are days like today where it seems like people who make decisions that ruin people's lives are insulated from ever experiencing any meaningful consequences. Am I, am I being too dire or uh, is that about where we're at today? No, I think that you're pretty much on the mark there. College football is never a sport that has done a great job um, punishing wrongdoing in a whole host of ways. And I think that we see that on display all the time and particularly here. All right, Alex, thank you so much for your time. Sure thing. Thank you. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all wheel drive. You can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome back to the College Football Daily. I'm joined now by Trey Scott from San Antonio, Texas, on the site of the... I'm sorry. What I don't even know. It's not. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not Army anymore. It's, it's just the All American Bowl. It's just the All American Bowl with a lot, okay. a lot of sponsors, mostly Adidas. 
Okay. So, uh, Trey, let's start things off uh, by talking about the uh, really thrilling Gator Bowl, uh, which featured a big comeback by Tennessee to come out and get the 23-22 to win over Indiana and finish up with a really nice 8-5 and season after that disastrous beginning to the campaign. So Tennessee was down 22-9. to Fourth quarter, touchdown. Onside kick, surprise. Touchdown. Defensive stop. Defensive stop. That Some controversy is, mixed in. Yeah, I mean, there's all... Look, 8-5 and five is really good for Tennessee. We thought there was a time in this podcast where we, after that BYU loss in Week 2, we thought this was a 3-9 and nine team. So props to Jeremy Pruitt. I don't know what the SEC East looks like next year, but yeah, I my thing with bowl season is it might as well... Like, it's hard for me not to look at it in just a vacuum of bowl season. I always want to look at what does it mean for next year. And for Tennessee, I feel like Jared Guarantano is going to be the guy. Uh, I, I think he's beat out Brian Mara for that job. Eric Gray, a true freshman running back, was tremendous in the last few games of the year. Awesome against Vanderbilt. Had 86 yards and a touchdown tonight. Tennessee's got some pieces. So 8-5 and five, uh, to round out the year. Could compete in the East. Uh, maybe could be the number two team there, depending on what Florida does. Listen, I was surprised that Jarek Garantano still had eligibility this season to to find out that he's coming back for next season. Man, Tennessee might really, really have something. Um, So let's, uh, as this game was kind of wrapping up, some reports started to trickle out that, you know, Mississippi State, after after appearing to decide to kind of stand pat with Joe Moorhead, despite some turbulence this season, it looks like maybe, and and maybe this will get more fleshed out by the time that this airs, but it looks like maybe they're kicking the tires on can they figure out some kind of plan B to retaining Joe Moorhead for yet another season. Yeah, so they went 6-7 and seven in his second year. They won the Egg Bowl, and barely, right? Like yeah. Ole Miss had to have an absolutely ridiculous uh, peen penalty for it. So they, Mississippi State won the Egg Bowl, and we went into that game thinking they could fire Joe Moorhead regardless of outcome. But they win, and then they lost to Louisville in the Music City Bowl 38-28, to and I, I don't think the fans were impressed with how they looked there at all. So you're at 6-7. and seven. I don't think you base like an entire year of your football program's existence off of one bowl game because there are so many variables that go into a bowl game. But there is a lot – of extracurricular noise with this Bulldog team. We covered the suspensions that they had academically all year, but their quarterback, Garrett Schrader, was knocked out of the bowl game because of an altercation he had with a teammate who our sources at Mississippi State, Jeans Page, believe to be star linebacker Willie Gay. So that would suggest to you that this is a coaching problem. Yeah, indeed. Uh, well, let's uh, keep it moving. Uh, Alabama, Al- this could be shape up to be a pretty interesting week for Alabama. Alex we- Alex Leatherwood, star offensive tackle, says today he's coming back for his final season of eligibility. Uh, we've got Dylan Moses already saying he's coming back. And Tua Tungabailoa is set to make an announcement on January 6th. He's dropping all these cryptic comments on his social media channels, kind of given Alabama fans, I think, a lot of hope right now that he's going to decide to come back. Uh, I mean, Trey, do you think we're headed for, like, let's get the band back together for one last run at, at greatness here? Yeah, but do you understand the letter that Dylan Moses is 
dad who's a lawyer posted today because I had a tough time with that. Okay. If we have any, this is the uh, one that begins with something about Lloyd's Your Majesty. of London. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> so basically, it's still up in the air whether okay. Dylan Moses comes back. There's... We could do. We should. We should do an entire special episode to this ep, to this letter because it talks about liability. And Dylan made the decision to post that he was coming back without consulting, and that you know, he, he proving the first round value, second round value, whatever. Yeah, I think the. I think Alabama, the momentum is here right now for a massive off season, to to the point where. Here in San Antonio, five-star quarterback signee Bryce Young is being asked about, are you going to be okay if Tua comes back? So that's wow. where we're at. Yeah, yeah, I think I think this is shaping up for Alabama. It, when, when we do the way-too-early preseason top 25 teams, I was actually talking about this today with Chris Hummer in San Antonio. We were like, okay, regardless of what happens in the national championship, Clemson is going to be one. But Alabama has a chance now to go from like – five to two if, if all these guys come back. So I don't even know if they need their trio of receivers to, to return if uh, if Tua comes back because Jalen Waddle is going to be there. It's uh, Nick Saban, yeah, 2020 could be really special. Yeah, if Tua does come back, there will still be questions about his health and his recovery timeline. That's right. And, and yeah, like do we, do, we don't even know if he's going to be able to stand up right. I, I don't know. Right, yeah, yeah, but really fascinating stuff uh for alabama it's a school where you expect kids to always make the like the business decision not maybe a little bit more and you know there there are costs and benefits you know you could maybe stay and get taken a little bit earlier and maybe that outweighs the money you'd earn and you're one drafted a little bit lower but i mean we're just kind of used to a little bit more of a mercenary mentality from these alabama players and nick saban even publicly in his comments says you know i'm giving these kids the information that they need to make a business decision so to see them potentially kind of put a pin in that for one more year is is kind of interesting and unexpected Con, and con, yep there's some precedent here there is some precedent with in the last five years of players like the last five years have signaled this turn to going pro when you when you're able to right like you're eligible go pro but the last few years, we've seen a few guys on teams that they think can be special make the decision to come back. Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle on the same day for Georgia. Christian Wilkins and Cleveland Farrell for Clemson. Alabama had Jonathan Allen and several other players decide to come back for their senior seasons a few years ago, and that resulted in a national title game. So I, I, I do think that is what this Alex Leatherwood decision is. He says... Well, I'll be a first rounder anyway. Let me let me win and try to win another national championship. I thought, hey, look, we were all shocked when Derek Brown from Auburn decided to come back for his senior year. He's still going to be a top ten pick. There is something to be said for players in the wake of or in spite of everyone saying you've played three years in college, go get your money. These players studying draft boards and saying maybe I can make more money next year. And if Najee Harris comes back. That would be why. Because if Najee Harris looks at the at the running back draft board for this upcoming spring's 2020 NFL draft, 2020 already, 2020 NFL draft, Jonathan Taylor, Travis Etienne, J.K. Dobbins, so many other guys I'm forgetting. But the next year is 
a lot more dry. Mm. And same for the receivers. If Devontae Smith doesn't want to be involved in an NFL draft class that includes Jerry Judy, probably Henry Ruggs, C.D. Lamb, LaVisca Chenault, Maybe uh, you know maybe he'd rather try his hand with a class that will include Jamar Chase and, and just Tylen Wallace next year. So uh, who knows what's going to happen? But I think there's a lot that's going into this these decisions. We got a couple of commitments from the other All American game going on right now, the Under Armour All American game over in Orlando. Let's start things off with four star quarterback Chandler Morris, son of Auburn offensive coordinator Chad Morris, committing to Oklahoma on Thursday. Trey, yeah, I'm sure you might have seen flashing the horns down sign to the ESPN cameras. Um, Morris had been committed to the University of Arkansas back when his dad was the Razorbacks head coach, but he opened his recruitment back up after Chad was fired. This news does come one day after five-star 2021 quarterback Brock Vandegrift decommits from the Sooners. Uh, Trey, thoughts, reactions here? So Vandegrift had a long time ago committed to Oklahoma because Oklahoma was not going to take a 2020 quarterback. Mm. So these were related. Yes. And then now that and then when it became clear that Chandler Morris was going to end up at Oklahoma, Brock Vandegrift backed off. Now, what do you, what do you want Lincoln Riley to do here? It's ridiculous to think that you can go a class without taking a quarterback given what happens in the transfer portal. But also if you're Va- Brock Vandegrift, you probably should have trusted your your chops over Chandler Morris who is not a highly ranked quarterback. Outside of his horns down thing, and just you know, we're it's unoriginal at this point. Chandler, get a new hand sign. Uh, this is it's a really good landing spot for Morris, but you you can kind of envision him, given his recruiting ranking, be one of these Austin Kendall, Kendall, Tanner Mordecai type players who end up as the the fake competition for the Spencer Rattler or the graduate transfer players of the world. Mm. Yeah, I did find myself having the reaction to the horns down thing, particularly in this context where the announcement is like specifically about, I am choosing this school because I like it to like, I mean, and he's a kid, so whatever, but just more from a perspective of Oklahoma as a like fan culture, perpetuating the horns down thing. there does become a point where I'm like, all right, yeah, the horns down is funny, but like at a certain point, like define, define your passion for your school rather than in opposition to another school. But, you know. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> All right. So uh, uh, one other note here, the Georgia Bulldogs have passed Ohio State for third place in the 2020 composite team rankings by landing the commitment of five-star athlete Darnell Washington. Washington actually signed with UGA during the early signing period in mid-December but kept that decision private until Thursday at the Under Armour All-American Game in Orlando. Uh, Washington is a six foot seven and a half, two hundred and sixty one pound behemoth, and he is expected, I believe, to play tight end for the Bulldogs. Anything to? Well, you said you had one on more there? note. Yeah, I've got something for you. And if you're a Georgia fan, listen, you're wondering what the heck is going on with Zachary Evans. So, Darnell Washington Connor was one of a few guys who signed with Georgia during the early signing period who wanted to keep it quiet. Zachary Evans, a five-star running back, was another one, and this is all out there at this point. Zachary Evans signed with Georgia, and in the last few days, something has happened, cold feet, I don't know what, to where he no longer became comfortable or the school no longer became comfortable with him declaring that decision publicly on ESPN. So Zachary Evans backed off of a public window for his decision, and now we'll see what happens in the next few days. He has signed... An, uh, a national letter of intent with Georgia, but 
LSU's like suddenly he he might want to go to LSU or or, or A and M instead. So I'm not doing this story justice, and it's impossible with Zachary Evans at this point, who has had the most roller coaster recruitment of any 2020 recruit. Texas, Texas A and M, Alabama, LSU, and Georgia have all at times been locks for him. But yeah, I, this is a really weird recruiting story right now. Yeah, and he had. There was some weirdness with his senior season. Did he end up getting suspended mm-hmm. for it? Yes. So okay. he, was, he was suspended for three games. And then the night before the state title game, he was sent home for some sort of altercation or mm. uh, uh, the message board rumors had to do with him not wanting to give up his phone at curfew. Okay. So well. <laughs> <laughs> whatever happens with Zachary Evans in the next month is uh, as good as your guess. I don't know. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. If you appreciate what we're doing, please express your support by leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. For Trey Scott and our producer, Tani Levitt, I'm Connor Tapp, and we'll see you on Monday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.